Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to the Sandspans Network. Home of comedy, (laughs) culture, adventures, and ghosts. Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish. I'm George DeMorellis. This is a show where we ask you what's your story and what does it say about you. Today on the show we have a communications specialist, urbanist, freelance writer and lover of cities and public spaces, Gillian Glover. Glad to have you on. Thanks for having me, George. It's my pleasure. How are you doing over there in uh, sunny-ish Vancouver? Oh, we're doing good. I was saying it's been a cool, cool summer. But like I said, we had crazy heat last summer and wildfires. So we're just happy to have the rain. <laughs> yeah, no, look, I can understand. I, as you mentioned, just before we started the show, it's a thing which maybe we didn't hear about down here. How many? You had, da- you had this small town that has the hottest weather in Canada that had over 40 degree days. How many days was it in before it just burned down? <laughs> Yeah, it was, it turned out to be quite a tragedy, actually. Well, we had something called the heat dome, where these out of ordinary hot temperatures locked into around the west coast of Canada, British Columbia, where I live. And as a result, we were getting temperatures in late June up in the 40s, which is normal for Australia, but it certainly isn't for Vancouver, British Columbia, where I'm from, we usually have very mild uh, summers and there's a small town in BC called Lytton that was getting they're, they're used to getting like the hottest temperatures in BC at any summer and they kept breaking records like 45 46 degrees and then I think it was on the third or fourth day the town burned to the ground so it was <laughs> yeah that's uh... not not good we're, we're happy with the rain <laughs> no that's it uh, that's uh that's really <laughs> Like it's just such a grimly realistic take on uh, where the world's at in terms of uh, yeah. climate change and stuff like that. <laughs> it's brutal. Yes. Like, I'm laughing, but it's obviously a tragedy. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's just so absurd. Just like everything in the world these days. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on. I saw your name and your details when you were on a, a, a newsletter of mine that I absolutely love. Who's also it's a German guy actually lives in Melbourne, funnily enough. And it was about uh, your story. So, like, how about we go into the book and then we can kind of jump around from there because it's something which I really like personally find super interesting. So, uh, your book of choice for today is "The Happy City" by Charles Montgomery, a fellow Vancouverite. Yeah, and I guess, do you want to give a summary on what kind of the the book's about? Sure. I read, it's been a while since I read the book, but I did brush up on 
the summary of the the main points because it's it's one of the books that really speaks to something that I'm passionate about, which is, you know, not just building what every urbanist likes to say is a like a livable city, but a city where, that makes people happy. And I think people aren't always aware of the things that there's the things that people think make them happy. And then there's the things that actually make people happy. And he looks at that in the context of how we design our cities, which, you know, traditionally we like to think, well, I want to live in a big single family home and have a nice car and, you know, be able to enjoy all the finer things in life. And, you know, whereas he looks much more at, well, if you look at cities that are more designed for the car and the single family home versus cities that are designed in a way that people can connect with each other, they turn out to be the happier happier of the, the two. And so he uses a bunch of examples from well-designed cities and he comes up with some, some key concepts for how to design a happy city. Right, and that's uh, and like I guess straight off the bat, I would ask uh, if you can, if it's got that detail there, the difference between, <laughs> I'm this is the whole idea of human concept is like what people think makes them happy and what actually makes them happy. How does he differentiate or measure that? I guess he does. I think he uses some some key examples of specific cities, but it basically it looks at like how. We have the city suburbs were designed to make us happier. And that's kind of what we've focused on since for most of the, for North America, at least not so much for Europe, they're much more dense and vibrant, but, you know, things haven't really worked out that way in terms of this concept of we have our big single family home and our big backyard and our front lawn and our two car garage and our nuclear family. And that's what we in North America certainly have designed our cities around. And he he did look at ways that that hasn't necessarily made people happy. I don't have like the specific <laughs> studies that he looked at, but it's generally <laughs> found to be the case. But yeah, that's the, the key concept is around how we we move around our cities and interact with the people around our cities is kind of what leads to happier people and he's found that you know for example when we get out and walk or ride our bikes and you're much more interacting with the environment around you and that makes you a lot happier than being stuck in traffic in a car which costs you a lot of money Mm. There's so many parts of this that I would like, like, just I'm obsessed with because you don't want to fall into the trap of obviously uh, romanticizing too much, but the idea that like all of these later countries, let's say, where like they got built after a certain time, especially with like maybe it was very early on where they got the car, they had developed in a very different way from these cities that have been around for obviously a thousand years where walking was always a big part of how you just got anywhere. And it's ended up being where, oh, these ones which were made for humans instead of for cars are actually generally the more livable ones. Is that kind of the takeaway, I guess, in a way? Yeah. I mean, there's so much about, like, I think cities are coming around to it more so now about how do we, especially in North America, because cities here are so much designed with the priority of getting places by a car. And like, how do you undo that? Like in Europe, it's a lot easier because they're, 
they're historic. They were designed even before cars were invented for the most part. So for them to kind of tame cars in their cities and close down streets, like they already have large public spaces. And so it's, I think it's less so, and they also have like great train systems and public transit, but for North American cities, it's much more challenging to undesign for the car, but we are seeing it more and more. I think particularly during the pandemic, nobody was going into the cities as much. People were staying home. They were able, there was a lot more opportunities for cities to experiment with like, well, what if we shut down a street and just open it up to the public because the public needed more space to congregate because, you know, they had to be outside, but they couldn't be close to each other. So there was a lot more of that happening. Paris right now, they have a very progressive, like female mayor, and she's been like shutting down streets everywhere and converting it to bike lanes. I was recently in Montreal in the, it's like a beautiful French Canadian city with a historic old port, like a community down by the port that's a lot of their historic buildings and when I had been there previously it was all these narrow streets but they still let cars like go down these streets and they had barely any sidewalks so the public walking is all shoved off down these tiny little streets and when I went back there last summer they had closed all of those streets to cars and put down like cobblestone like it used to be and I was like you can actually get a sense of the history now of the city and what this area used to be like for people maybe like 80 years ago, whereas when there were cars there, it was just, it felt like you weren't really welcome. (laughs) You know, like you were shoved off to the side on these skinny streets. Like cars just, they dominate space, right? And they don't leave room for people to have internet, like they're noisy. And mind you, like I drive a car and it's very convenient and it's great to have, but I think when it comes to cities, they they need to be tamed. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where Australia sits like <laughs> a public transport could be better, but I know, I, and I haven't been to everywhere where like I read about where a parent place in North America where it's just impossible to exist without um, a car. Like there's just nothing around you like at all. And there's photos where you see it. It's just like this concrete wasteland almost where the cars have just dominate everything. I think the issue is like people could be a bit, we're not saying you can walk everywhere. Cars obviously serve a purpose. The issue is like merging them smoothly. And the issue is right now, it seems like they just haven't been merged at all smooth. Take, haven't taken into account that it is ideally you don't want cars, but you need them and they're super useful. So you want to try to balance that kind of two things out. So uh, yeah, I appreciate your, <laughs> you're like, I've got a car. I get it. It's, it's still great. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot Definitely. of ways. Like I'm fine with like, You know, like in Vancouver, they've been doing a lot of work building separated bike lanes in the downtown core, and that's taken away space from cars. You know, with COVID, like people are only going back to work, like hybrid for the most part. So there isn't as much traffic going into downtown to get really pissed off about these new separated bike lanes. It slows traffic down and it actually makes streets safer and more pleasant for not just cyclists, but for pedestrians as well. Because if cars slow down, then it makes for safer streets too. And there's there's lots of ways you can do that beyond separated bike lanes, like crosswalks and speed bumps and just and ballers. Like there's a whole, I think there's a whole world bollard association on Twitter that like posts photos of bollards like blocking cars from public spaces because they're not fans of cars either. But yeah, there's just basically all of this goes back to 
what the happy city and what Charles has found is that the more we open up our public spaces to people versus cars, then the happier a city you have. Yeah. Again, I think it's environment is such a big factor in that. And that's what this kind of ties into. So I guess like one question. So your title involves urbanists. So I guess like what made you interested in this from the start? Was there any like sort of part that made you fascinated in this kind of area? Yeah, it's funny. I, I still work in communications for the Canadian government, but one of my first jobs that I worked in was with a federal government department that gave money to economic development projects. And one of those projects was to revitalize an area of Vancouver called the downtown East side, which is a very impoverished area with a lot of drug addiction and homelessness. And at the time, the federal government signed an agreement with like the provincial government and the city of Vancouver to revitalize that area over 10 years. It was called the Vancouver Agreement. And so I worked on communications for that. And that's where I saw how public policy can actually affect cities. And also, I should say my dad was an urban planner or a transportation planner as well. Although I always like, you never pay attention to what your parents do for a living. And I was never interested. The only time I ever noticed was when he would always take pictures of trains whenever we were on vacation. And I just thought that was like (laughs) him being a big nerd. And I I had zero interest whatsoever. Oh, and I liked playing SimCity, which is like that game where you plan City, So I did have some exposure to it as a kid, but it wasn't until I worked on the Vancouver Agreement that I became particularly interested in it and then pursued uh, like a master's in urban studies while working. And then I really just became interested in, I think, because I'd grown up in both the city when I was a kid and then moved to the suburbs, I'd always preferred living in the city versus the suburbs and I knew what it was like to live on a cul-de-sac and in a big house and just, you know, be so disconnected. (laughs) Like you couldn't walk anywhere because the streets weren't connected either. If you were on, it wasn't like a grid system. So just to get to your neighbor who really would live quite close to you, you'd have to walk like 30 or 40 minutes because the streets weren't connected. Because that's how like North American suburbs are. (laughs) Yeah, it was all this like cul-de-sacs and dead ends and... You know, like there's no buses and rapid transit. It's changed a lot now. I grew up in a suburb called Coquitlam. But so, yeah, just growing up, I saw like how much I hated living in the suburbs. And so that also made me really interested in 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 good city design and planning. And obviously Vancouver's considered, I mean, we have tons of challenges, but we're considered one of the most livable cities in the world, like Sydney or mm. Melbourne. Australia yeah, gets a lot of accolades. Stiff competition, too. yeah. Also, the most expensive cities in the world because people want to live there. So I just yeah. I became really interested in what made Vancouver such a well-designed city, and you know that had to do with public spaces and public transit and densifying the downtown and and then as I evolved in my love of cities, I started to become, after having children, I became very interested in how to build family-friendly and child-friendly cities. And that's really been my focus. Yeah, there's just, there's so many areas you can look at in how to build great cities. And it's all fascinating to me. Yeah, like, uh, no, definitely. But like, are those intermingled? Like, there's in the, fa- or you're saying is in like, it's kind of, I guess if you were doing, building SimCity, 
<laughs> like with your knowledge now of how it all works, um, are you saying that like you'd have separate areas for like the family thing versus the single thing, I guess, or whatever, or is, is it all just kind of mixed together? You just take it all into account. Well, I think it's all, I mean, families tend to need more affordable housing and it's funny, like we're actually at a real crossroads in Vancouver because we built a very dense downtown core and then we didn't touch our single family neighborhoods. We're a city in, I say in quotation marks, but beyond the downtown, it's all single family homes. Like it might as well be the suburbs. And now we have this Vancouver plan, which is supposed to be our plan for the next 20 years and look at like, how can we add more housing into these areas? Because all the people living in those single family homes aren't families anymore (laughs) because families can't afford them. It's all retired people, offshore investors. Like I know Australia has these problems too. And incomes are not that high in Vancouver. So a young family here cannot, like the average home price now is for a duplex. It's like one and a half million dollars for a home. It's probably around up to two. (laughs) And these are like tear down crap homes because the land is worth more than the home itself. So if we want families to stay in Vancouver, we have to build like duplexes, high rises, townhomes, like everything. We have to densify beyond the downtown and there's a lot of resistance in these single family neighborhoods outside the downtown and a lot of them are people that are that are older like I don't want to stereotype but it is mostly older people that have lived here for years it always is it always bloody is (laughs) and you know like I know I'm not you know I don't want to be like nimby yimby uh which is like not in my backyard versus yes in my backyard they're just the way we stereotype these people like there is a balance obviously and but it's it's we're really at a crossroads in Vancouver of like, you know, we we left our single family neighborhoods and we protected them because Vancouver is also like very celebrated for the nature around. And so it's hard to imagine densifying these single family neighborhoods because it's like, oh, well, we're such a kind of sleepy city with beaches. And it's like, well, how do we also be like a really lively city? And we're just going to literally die <laughs> because well, if we don't start building more homes because nobody could afford to live in those homes and I live I live in a duplex in a single family neighborhood and everyone around like it's surrounded by single older single family homes lovely people but they're all older there's no children like there's no children around <laughs> and how yeah. can you have a city without children it's like the arcade fire song <laughs> city with no children in it right so children and families like that's the part of cities that we have to build for both and so I I've written a lot about what you need in a how to build a child-friendly city and how to build a city for families so that's kind of where my focus has been lately but it ties into all the things I've always been interested in around public spaces and nature and cities and transportation anyways i'm rambling now so that's that's okay life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs united healthcare can help get you covered with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans they supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs 
no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, like, this is so fundamental to the human experience right now. And I think everyone's realizing waking up to maybe the mistakes that have been made in the past 60 years in terms of the focus being on, yes, the single family, like, have your own castle out in the suburbs away from everything but like how flawed that is and how oh maybe we should have looked at what has worked for people for hundreds of years or thousands of years and like the example that i think of and whether this relates to maybe uh, making things more family friendly is how like in europe like i've got greek background so i visit greece a lot i've noticed there there's all like in the cities everyone's crammed in and everyone's everyone's apartment living is just how it works there everyone has apartments but one of the big things about apartments is They've got huge, huge balconies. Every single apartment has massive balconies. So it's like, it's almost like an outdoor space in your apartment almost. Like that's a fundamental part of it. Is that the kind of thing that like you look at or are you looking at like the larger scale stuff of like, oh, just making sure you're near a park or something? Like how does that, is that, is it both? Is it one? No, definitely both. I've looked at how to design like family friendly housing. A lot of the condos in Vancouver, like, they were often designed with just like a one bedroom or studio apartment. So for a, a single person or a couple. And so our previous mayor required, I, I think it was like 20% of units in new condos would have to be three bedrooms. And so they've actually now the city requires that and that's so that homes can be designed more for, for people with children or, you know, multiple families in one place. But it's interesting. I was looking at, one of the ideas from the happy city was cities and being around people can make us happy, but it's crowdedness. What does it say? Crowdedness makes us want to hide from the world. A good city helps residents escape when they need to. It's almost like, yes, you build cities where people live closer together and can interact with each other and exchange ideas and innovation. And But we also need, you know, like you said, like if you're going to design an apartment, make sure it has like a, an outdoor space for someone or a park nearby or or just like some place where people can go coffee shops like places where people can go to be at peace you have to make sure cities aren't too noisy or dominated by cars like there's all these things that people also need peace and quiet right so how do you design that into the city and get that balance yeah. and i think europe does a lot of that really well actually because so many people live in dense urban environments that that becomes a part of it mm. 
I think, and like, I mean, an example of that that straight away springs to mind when you talk about, like, yeah, being so crammed in, but in that space is apparently when Central Park was first designed and they actually were quite successful in it, was to make it, like, in New York, so many people and so many people using it, but the idea was to design in such a way that even with, you know, however many tens of thousands of people are in there, you could still feel alone as you walk around just because the way it was designed, it was made so you could still feel almost like you weren't, uh, I, 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 maybe it's changed since then, but yeah, that was the idea. So again, it's just designing it so you can, <laughs> relieve that human need for like that aloneness so yeah yeah sorry what speaks to mind when you said it and i think that also became really important during covid during the pandemic was there was a lot of people being told to stay home right and a lot of people like it's you know if you live in like a single family home with a backyard well that's fine like it was hard because i was always promoting how great it was for families to live in the city well when you're but it was for all of the things you could do. Like the park is your living room and like you can go to art galleries and all these activities and services. And then during COVID, it's like, no, you can't leave your home. It led to a lot of people leaving, a lot of families leaving the city to move to like smaller towns because of virtual work, they could do that. But it also made parks more important, right? So you're seeing a lot more focus in cities now on building activities and supporting more infrastructure in parks because parks became such a fundamental public space and place for peace and quiet and even socializing during the pandemic. So there's some good things that came out of it, like more investment and focus on parks, but then there's also some challenges that came out of it with everyone, this mass exodus from the city. Like I know, I think Vancouver lost, I can't remember, the, it was like thousands of families they just like the recent census came out like we lost a lot of people other places gained like all these smaller towns gained populations and Vancouver actually lost 7,000 people I think during the pandemic yeah and we're a city like that shouldn't happen but it's because families can't afford to to live here right so brings its own challenges as you're saying there like I guess because uh, you worked in public policy I just realized and you said <laughs> you got to see how good that impact could be how do you balance that like as in how do you balance the fact that oh well if if we want people to move in yes you can have a city which is great for everyone but it needs to have, be both the housing needs to be better and the parks need to be better and the public transport needs to be better. like how do you make that work i guess so that it actually can get people in well it's all interconnected i guess yeah. you have to do it all at the same time right i mean i'm not a planner i I've studied and read a lot about planning. Planners have to do a lot of public engagement. And sometimes the loudest voices are the people who don't want change. So that's definitely a hindrance to making big changes in cities. Like with Vancouver, we had like a regional plan years ago, which was to build cities in a sea of green because we're surrounded by mountains and big regional parks. And so... I think a lot of it comes from working together. Like, for example, we had at the time that they created this regional plan for Vancouver and all the adjacent communities, they got all the mayors to come together and and the transit authority to decide, like, every city centre will be built around a transit station. And these are the areas of, you know, the forested areas and parks that will be preserved, dedicated green space. And that's kind of how Vancouver has grown. Like now that I'm talking about it, like building around transit 
actually is how you what you start with like you start with connecting communities by transit by work by having the different mayors and regional planners work together to agree on that and usually you densify the city around those transit stations and preserve green spaces so regional plan it's really dorky and boring but if you don't plan a city beyond the city and look at it as a region as a whole then you're going to have like the downtown is where the jobs are. They're not going to build any homes. And then they're going to have all these suburbs, sleepy bedroom communities. And people are going to be getting in their car and driving for 40 minutes. So you have to make sure that you connect everything with public transit and that each city is a city within itself, not like a bedroom suburb. Do you know what I mean? So if everyone's planning their own self-contained cities, then they can work and complement each mm. other. Like as in they can have like everywhere should at least have a supermarket and a restaurant area and maybe a bar. Like as in just have a life. Yeah, like a town center. We call them actually sorry. We call them regional town centers. So every every city that is connected to Vancouver has its own regional town center with its own apartments and its own parks and its own. um, We call it SkyTrain here, like metro stations, and it's all built around that. So people don't have to get in their cars, and they can live where they work. So then that makes it easier to plan good cities, basically. Oh, it sounds like Vancouver's ahead already compared to like, I think some other cities that I've heard about, but uh, the... It's um, a victim of its own so success. Guess, <laughs> yeah, but like the, because you mentioned before about people moving out to like smaller towns, let's say, because of the pricing issue here. But I guess what I would want to know, because I haven't read Happy Cities, but... What is a city? Like, is it what is, is there like a, a population size that ticks it over? Or like, because I guess my thought would be that's not a bad thing, people leaving technically. No, like, it's not. Like, I know people that move to smaller communities near like our, like Whistler. You've probably heard of Whistler. It's like a world class ski resort. Whistler's not yeah. affordable, but the there's a town is. near it called Squamish. But that's very affordable. <laughs> And a lot of, what a name. actually a lot of young <laughs> Squamish, it, well, it used to just be like a stop to get gas on the way to Whistler, but now all these young people have moved there because there's great mountain biking and it's close to Whistler and it's also close to Vancouver. And so I know several friends that moved there and now, of course, it's totally not affordable anymore, <laughs> but, but they could because of like, we're all working virtually Every or time. some of us are. And yeah. But they've actually, like the young people that have moved there have made it much more lively. It's not a city. It's still like a small community. But that's not, it's not a bad thing for people to to leave the city and move somewhere they can afford. Of course not, right? As long as they're not still doing like a 45-minute commute into the city in their car. And as long as that's not the case, because we all know that doesn't make people happy. Or if it does, you're the minority, not the majority. But... I look at it as like, okay, well, what happens to the city then? We don't want to become a retirement community. So how do we also keep the city as like an appealing place for young people? Because young people still want to live in cities. Maybe not all families do, but young people don't want to like live in a sleepy community. They want to be where other young people are. And and then when they grow up and have kids, like they should also, if they want to, have a place in the city. And that's the thing with Vancouver is, like, I'm still here, but, like, one thing about living in a very unaffordable place is you just watch everyone get married, have kids, and they've all left. Well, I do have some 
friends, obviously, that have stayed, but so many have left, like, especially during the pandemic. It was wild. You're like, I'm staying strong. (laughs) I am. I'm staying strong. (laughs) Can't write about the city if you don't live in it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, I would have been gone. No, that's like... No, I thought about moving to a small town. I was like, no, I can't do it, because then how am I going to write about how great cities are if I'm not here anymore? (laughs) And I still love it here, and it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Have an identity crisis. Mm. Like, I mean, I think Vancouver's not that big compared to, like... Because Melbourne, obviously, technically, its population is, like, four or five million, even though the the land area that they cover barely qualifies, I feel like, at the same time. But Vancouver's, like, a little bit smaller, isn't it? It's What is the population? Yeah, it's smaller. Well, Vancouver itself is not that big land-wise. So, I think Vancouver's, like, one and a half million. So, it's, yeah, it's small. Oh, sorry. I said one and a half. It's 2.6. Right. But I think that's for the whole, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's around the same. Yeah. You know, it's not like a New York or a London, but Mm. (laughs) it definitely still qualifies as a city in case you're wondering. (laughs) Because I think that was one of your questions, which is good. Like, I don't, I don't know what you would say, like 10,000. Is that a city? Maybe. (laughs) Well, that, that's what, like that's a question, yeah. Because like I, I always think of uh, obviously uh, population as it grows, like how to put them together in large spaces, but also like what is the ideal as well? Let's say separate to that, because I do think we need to figure out how to just get more people together because that's good for the environment, that's good for everything if you can do that efficiently. But also, is there like a limit? Is there like ten thousand is the most ideal size, or a hundred thousand, or a million? Like, or is it just unlimited? To- as long as you've got the right amenities in place, I guess. Um, I think it's unlimited. Like, look at New York. I mean, people the people who live in New York love, I mean, maybe not everyone, but people keep moving there. So obviously people, <laughs> there are some people that love living there. And like how many people per square yeah. kilometer do you have in New York? Like it's crazy dense. And that's what makes New York, New York or Paris, Paris, right? So, you're showing your North American you, bias here when you're not picking Tokyo. I feel like that's a better. <laughs> Sorry, well, you know, I don't. I should. No, I would always. I'd love to go to Japan and yeah, Tokyo, of course. These are all some of the world's greatest cities and also some of the densest. And they obviously do urban design well, or people wouldn't choose to live there. So they're doing something right, and I think a lot of it has to do with. It comes down to the decisions that every leader and business and community organization makes to to locate in that city and to be involved in the planning of that city it's it's a lot of people that care that you know make those decisions and Mm. it's not by accident you know everything that happens in the city is planned and intentional right and i think that's part of what i find so interesting about it because like it is one of the best examples of how fundamental regulation is like as in there is no other way to do this if you let it be a free-for-all it ends up being a mess and just whoever wants to profit comes in and just destroys and it's just so bad for the place long term so for me it's like one of my favorite examples of like how important some planning is and how important it is to regulate that in a way that's researched and studied and thought through so yeah i think that's why this kind of might part of why it interests me because of how fun like how there's no argument here it has to be done like that 
Yeah, and studies on public spaces are really interesting. I was just thinking about that because human behavior is really predictable. <laughs> so there's this one um, urbanist, William White, and he, I think he's from the 70s, I want to say, but he used to film public spaces and what people would do in public spaces. If you had a food truck in a public space or like seating in a public space, more people would spend time in that space. Whereas if you didn't, and it was just cold concrete, like people didn't want to go there. He would film how people behaved in public spaces and look at what drew people to certain public spaces and versus what didn't. And it was consistently like the same thing. Offer, you know, seating and nature and other people and, you know, activated public spaces. And it was time and time again, those were the places people wanted to be. And that's just human behavior, right? Like, even though humans can be unpredictable, they can also be very predictable. And that's why when you design public spaces, there's some pretty core concepts that make a a great public space. And once you know what those are, if you build it, they will come, basically. So yeah, yeah, it's interesting. No, like what you're saying there, yeah, it's like the, uh, it's because you're making them nice. <laughs> like that's why people are coming because you're just give, giving them the things which makes people come somewhere. So like it makes sense that that would draw them in and like, yeah. And other people draw exactly people in, right? Yeah. It becomes like the But a, not a, too many people, right? Like it's also the whole like people want to be around people, but they also want to have like their own bench and kind of be like people want different things. And so, yeah, it's all, I find it all fascinating. Well, yeah, like that's why it's like, again, I guess this is this is the SimCity thing uh, on large scale in real life. It's like yeah. it's almost never ends and it's like how to get everything to work and click in a way that is balanced and like lets everyone enjoy it in, yeah, the most efficient way possible, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, I could I, – I, I, this whole topic fascinates me but I do know you have to – I enjoy talking about it. Thank you for giving me the time. I just – it's hard, to, you know, you – can always find people that want to talk about these things. But when I do, I get really excited and I could go on for hours. But not today. I don't know. We'll, you, we'll keep I, it to yeah, I know. You got to rush up. But like, I, I find like, I think everyone should be interested. Like the idea of like how in, fundamental it is to your existence. Like how to enjoy your mm-hmm. life is tied so intertwined with this. And then it ties into larger things of like how you look at the environment. And it's like no, one yes. can, no one's ever going to argue that parks are bad, like as in they're so good and useful <laughs> for you. And like no one's going to argue even that walking is bad. Everyone likes walking. So it's weird. You'd be how... surprised. There are people that would argue parks are bad. <laughs> That's how crazy people People be like rats and like, I don't know. There's people that will be against anything. Yeah, look, that that's very true as well. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people might be saying parks are bad is because they've got their own private park and they don't want anyone else to have Exactly, it. Like, exactly. It's a different thing. People yeah. don't like the sound uh, but, of kids playing, you name it. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a, that's a particularly... Uh, there are people okay, like see, that. You know there are. Yeah, I can see what you've been dealing with. Yeah, yeah. It's like these goddamn yeah. kids. That's, that's funny. Uh, you know you're on the wrong side of things I feel like when you're doing that but anyways thank you so much for being on Jillian um, is there anywhere where people could follow you or chase you up if they want to see things in the future uh, sure well my my blog is thiscitylife.ca and you can find me on Twitter that's where I'm most active tweeting about all things cities at uh, thiscitylife yvr okay 
Perfect. Well, I'll, I'll put the links in the show notes as well. But yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, yeah, so I guess uh, get down, get back to your rainy Canada. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's been. <laughs> oh, thank you for having me and read Charles's book, Happy City. I will, Highly recommend. No, no, it it's, sounds right up my alley. <laughs> All right, cheers. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sans Pants Radio, then why not subscribe to SansPantsPlus.com? For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's SansPantsPlus.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.